Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, shoppers of the digital age, and thank you again for joining us for another round of Tech Talk. Grab your trolley and join us for a cruise down the virtual aisles of this technological supermarket with our spruker from the future, Mr. Matthew Dickerson. Before we start on today's specials, Matt, what's been distracting you this week? Well, I'm actually disappointed, James. Uh, I think lots of people around the world are doing some great work in educating, and I see that's what we do largely on this particular podcast, is we educate people about things that are happening around the world, and it involves technology, and there's lots of new things happening there, but it's also probably a bit of education around a bit of science, maybe a bit of climate change, mm. a bit of renewables. But I had two particular interactions this week, and I kind of walked out of those with my head hanging low. A bit and deflated. My feet, yeah, feet dragging behind me because I just thought, we've got so far to go. So I had one meeting with a group of lovely ladies, and we talked about a few concepts, and then the idea of these ugly solar panels and ugly wind turbines oh came up and wanted to know what we could possibly do about getting rid of these ugly blights on the landscape. We could put a lovely, attractive coal-burning um, power plant <laughs> well, on Well, that's yeah. an option, isn't Get it? Get some big so smokestacks. And I, I did actually say that I find beauty in those solar panels and wind turbines because I see the future of our planet, the kids, the grandkids, our grandkids that have a planet and they'll thank us, hopefully, to say, you actually took some action there. Well done to you. And that was received with them saying, oh, touche. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. So <laughs> that was received with derision, may no, I say. No. So I kind of walked out of that particular meeting and thought, wow, there's a long way for us to go. Because yeah. the whole idea of when I talked a bit more about EVs and just the planet and what's happening, it was all poo-pooed by this particular group. But then... I, th- I thought I had a bit more hope because I met with someone who was in government who was talking about the future and the direction of this planet and that talk was based around what we need to do in this country is sell more coal and a bit more gas as well because we need to buy nuclear submarines and fighter planes. Oh, so right. that's the direction we're headed in for this country uh, and climate change... the only change, way to make the money is through selling coal uh, and gas. Apparently, apparently, that's it. But uh, climate change did come up in that particular conversation... But it was acknowledged that climate change may be an issue, potentially, maybe, but don't get too hung up on it. So meanwhile, let's keep selling coal and yeah. selling gas and, and we'll solve the problems of the world by making sure we're protected with our nuclear subs and our fighter planes. Put a bag over our heads, yeah. yeah. So we've got more work to do, James. We yeah. have more work to do. Fight the good fight. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully this little episode will pick me up a bit because I'm still just a bit deflated after those conversations. So please, let's go and talk about some positive things happening in the (laughs) technology world in the future. Well, folks, as I check out the billboard today, it looks like a grab bag of gifts for anyone who has already got everything. Uh, We've got a water pistol that'll turn the eye of the SAS. Uh, We've got some serious boating fun coming right at you. A whistle that'll wake your neighbours in the next suburb, that is. Uh, There's some new devices that can check out your health like never before and and a zero-carbon footprint camping oven that you can take anywhere, except maybe Scotland. Um, So get your credit cards ready as we bust open today's catalogue, folks. Now, I remember the first generation of pump pack water pistols. It was back in 1991 and I was in year 12. It was year 12 muck-up day, uh, no less, back in the day when muck-up day was still a thing. The Super Soaker was a gift from heaven and an important part of what made the day particularly memorable. At the time, they were a technological marvel. 
I couldn't see how anyone could ever improve on that original Super Soaker design. It was glorious by the standard of the day. But Matt, in 2022, there's been another revolution in the water pistol technology. And I'll confess... I'm a giddy 18-year-old again. <laughs> I can just see the line. Up to no good. Yeah. Well, that's right. I can just see the line when someone pulls out the old super soaker and then the person with one of these says, that's not a water oh. pistol. This, <laughs> this is, is a water, water pistol. <laughs> this is a powered water pistol now. So forget about uh, using a bit of pump action yeah. to get them some things happening. This is the world's most advanced water Gun And I love it. <laughs> it's not a water pistol, it's a water gun. So now you know they're getting serious. So you fill it up, not by the old-fashioned pop the lid on the back, get the tap, dribble it in there, make sure you get it in there at the mm. right speed and fill it up. This That's thing, a waste of time. Oh, when you're in battle, you need to be able to reload <laughs> quickly, don't you? So this thing, you stick the nozzle in your bucket of water, hit the trigger in a certain way, and it sucks up the water so it fills your gun. It's all powered. In seconds, all powered by batteries in there, obviously. So that's the first thing. You can reload quickly. Then you've got super shot or power shot, they call it. So with the power shot, you've only got 22 power shots with the amount of water that you have in the gun, but a power shot can travel 10 metres. So can you imagine (laughs) hiding behind some bit of building or some tree and hitting someone in a water pistol fight from 10 metres away? And can you imagine being that person getting hit in the back of the head with this bucket full of water that's been fired as a a shot from a gun? That's right. And then wondering where it came from for a start, looking around going, there's no one near me where that come from. But then I started thinking about it and I couldn't find the velocity. Maybe they don't quote the velocity it comes out at for reasons that someone might be completely offended by (laughs) what's about to happen to them. But the velocity that must come out at it, if you can shoot 10 metres, then being hit from one metre, for example, sounds like it might actually start to hurt a bit, which is, you know, <laughs> against the rules of water pistol fights, of course. So this is a serious bit of gun for your water pistol fight. So not only the power shots, it can actually do shooting just continuous water, not that same distance. But again, the super soaker does not stand a chance against mm. something like this. So this mm. is taking water pistol fights to the next level. Oh, there was all that uh, clumsy unscrewing the the reservoir bottle and then having to screw it back on and uh, yeah. uh, and the mucking around with that. Oh, what's the video on this? Um, 12 seconds. You just have to dunk the nozzle in a swimming pool, yeah. hold the trigger in that certain way, and um, 12 seconds later, you're filled up. So the super soaker guy hasn't even finished unscrewing yeah. his nozzle before. There, he's been hit again. Fired in the back of the And head. of course, it's got an LCD screen. You need to have an LCD screen <laughs> on a water pistol. It tells you the battery status, uh, the number of shots left, how much water you've got in your tank, all those sorts of important things. So when you're sneaking up, oh no, only two shots left on this one. I better mm. go and fill up again before I go into that next battle. I think it sounds like fun and I know what I'm getting my kids for Christmas. It's a fair way away, but I'm getting it for me for them for Christmas, not for them for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess the only reason it doesn't have a laser targeting scope is because of the potential eye damage. Um, but, uh, geez, I reckon that would be another step. It would be, actually. That would be great, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> have you ever seen that movie Dumb and Dumber? It's oh, got to be about 25 years old now, I reckon. Do you remember the bit in the, uh, with, with the world's most annoying noise? Now, I'm not going to make that noise for you right now. <laughs> I was going to ask for a demonstration. I won't do it for you, listeners. Uh, just like, Matt, you're not going to blow that hyper whistle that's hanging around your neck right now. If I am, we'll ask listeners to turn their volume down. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what the hell is a is a hyper whistle? And why am I so worried about bored teen- teenagers getting hold of this one? Yeah, imagine that. 142 decibels from a whistle that you blow into. That's crazy. Eight and a half centimetre long whistle. So it's still fairly compact, but that's mm. fairly big for a whistle. 
three kilometres away, you can hear it from, supposedly. Yeah, wow. It actually comes... Way to wake up the neighbours. <laughs> yeah, the neighbours in the next neighbourhood. <laughs> it comes with ear protection. So if you do need to use it, put your ear protection on first because if you can hear it three kilometres away, 142 decibels next to your ears doesn't sound that pleasant. So a jackhammer, it's rated at lower than 142 decibels. Oh, wow. Now, this is actually I, designed... I just wonder, yeah, whereabouts would you use this? That's right. Why would you want a whistle that is this that loud? Can... So, and I... I I'm intrigued by why this was the solution, but apparently on US aircraft carriers, they needed some way to gain the attention of some other people around you. I'm not sure whether it was for an emergency situation or mm. whether you just needed to, hey, over here, Jimmy. A plane about to land on you. Whatever. Yeah, something like that. So all the things they could come up with, and I was thinking all sorts of electronic things or flashing lights or maybe everyone's probably wearing a radio, maybe even something coming over the radio – they came up with the idea of a whistle. So when you're on the US aircraft carrier, you need to get someone's attention. There's a bit of noise around there with jets, and they're all wearing ear protection, obviously, because you've got these jets on the plane, on the boat. So you pull out your whistle, your trusty hyper whistle, you blow into it, 142 decibels, that's louder than an idling jet, and people look around and go, oh, what's... What's Jim over there want? So, oh, he's blowing his whistle. There must be something. Oh, there's a plane above me about to hit me. So whatever it might be. So they were designed for US aircraft carriers. And it's funny, just all the technology you can imagine on one of those ships and a good old-fashioned whistle, or maybe not a good old-fashioned one, a modern whistle, is a solution they came up with to solve a problem they had. I, I just, I'm, I'm despair because I worry that, you know, in 12 months' time, these are going to show up in show bags. <laughs> um, and so after the local show's been... You know, in school playgrounds, uh, there's going to be hyper whistles imagine being built that. out. Oh, imagine a hyper whistle battle. <laughs> so the way they do it, they've actually got some harmonics. They've got some clever harmonics in three different chambers. So they obviously use those mm. harmonics to build the wave, the amplitude of the wave, and they create that loud whistle. But that's a fair bit of engineering that's gone yeah. into something that seems like a fairly simple concept, a bit more complicated than the good old footy whistle that's got a little P inside and you yeah, blow yeah, it away yeah. it goes. But this is unbelievable, but it gets better underwater. Now, I don't oh. know what noise it makes and how you can hear it or how far away, but it apparently works underwater. You can communicate with Aquaman. Maybe, but I'm, I'm not sure how you get the breath of air first. Do you have <laughs> your scuba gear on and you take that off and then blow in it, or do you just dive down from above the water and blow it underwater? Yeah. don't know, but it was one of the claims that was made that this will also work underwater. Maybe if you're on the ship and you fall overboard, mm. then you take a breath before you go under, blow the whistle under, and then, I don't know, as you say, Aquaman, Aquaman comes and rescues comes you. Rescue you. <laughs> maybe the way to get uh, the attention of someone who's scuba diving on the on the bottom of the surface, yeah, maybe. Uh, bottom of the ocean. There. Friendly whale, perhaps. <laughs> flipper. <laughs> flipper. Yeah, Flipper. <laughs> Forgot all about him. Now, solar power can do almost everything these days. I say almost. And so it makes sense that camp cooking is now a futuristic shade of green and that with solar powered. Uh, it's with the solar-powered outdoor oven. You know where this is going, folks. Matt, solar-powered cooking makes sense, but does this mean I can only cook a hot dinner in the middle of a 45-degree day when I'm out camping? You'd think so, wouldn't you? And that's the first logical conclusion. But let's just put that on pause for a moment. Okay. I'll tell you about the oven a little bit first. So you're out there, let's say it is 45 degrees or 40 that's degrees. That's stinking hot and I don't want to have a hot dinner. <laughs> no, that's right, you probably don't. <laughs> but this oven is very cleverly designed. It can get to 288 degrees Celsius oh, wow. right, okay. inside the oven. So it actually traps the heat inside an insulated vacuum tube. So that's how it helps create the heat in it. So it sounds pretty good. It's a hybrid cooker though. So you think, hybrid cooker, what's, what's the go with that? It's got batteries inside as well. So... You can put it outside in the middle of the day, cook up something, and to cook things, it's 
kind of steams or, or roasts it rather than just like a fry pan. So veggies, for example, steamed veggies take about 20 minutes. Uh, steak, if you put a steak in there, about 55 minutes, so a bit slower. Yeah, right, yeah. And that's probably good because you often hear chefs talk about slow taking time, cooking. slow cooking. That's right. It sounds yeah. very tender. I'm getting a bit hungry now, James. So <laughs> the meat will just fall off the bone there. But after hours... Or when it's cloudy, as long as that battery. Or when you're char- in Scotland. In Scotland, well, that might be a problem because you need a bit of sun at some stage yeah, to okay, charge right, the battery right. up. But let's assume you've charged it somewhere else and then you've gone to Scotland with this ready to go. <laughs> then you can still do it. It might take a bit longer because it doesn't get to quite the same heat. But you can then charge it up during the day. Nighttime comes, and away you go. You can go and still cook your veggies, cook your steaks. It'll basically fold up so you can make it transportable. It's six and a half kilograms, so you know. Not great to lug through the forest if you're on a big backpacking not if mission. Not your backpack, but it, you know, a lot but of people the just ca- got their camper trailer. Yeah. That's right. And one of the things that I don't love at the moment is you go somewhere out bush to be at one with nature, and you go and fish and catch that beautiful fish you want to cook, and then you go and click a bunch of sticks and create all this pollution in the environment by having a little campfire. So this sort of thing I can see being really popular with people who care about the environment or have kids like mine who don't like collecting sticks. <laughs> and so you go, forget about the sticks, kids. We just pull this out, fold it out, ready to go, and you start cooking. So it sounds unbelievable to me. A solar-powered outdoor oven. Now, say so it's in a vacuum chamber, so toasting marshmallows. Yeah, they haven't actually thought tricky. of that one, have they? Well, yeah. it's only a matter of time. Maybe it's good because it's healthy as well. You have the veggies, you have the steak, and no marshmallows afterwards. I can't imagine it. Uh, I can't <laughs> even think about that. Um, <laughs> but all I can to... imagine is that this is just where the technology starts, yeah. and there'll be a, a marshmallow, marshmallow toaster co- toasting option. option comes that's later. right, yeah. That's probably harder to get Fingers the kids crossed. attracted to going out camping and doing all those things if you don't lead with the marshmallows. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so... Yeah. Yeah. Take a lighter along. No, that's still burning stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure. We'll work on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Now, earbud technology. They've got Bluetooth, microphones, noise cancelling. They're super lightweight. It's all pretty standard these days. So what do the fancy earbuds have now that the others don't? Body temperature monitoring, uh, monitoring, that is. Matt, that actually makes a lot of sense. It does, and we've seen those thermometers that you can buy. Most mm. chemists have them. Stick them in your ear. Yeah, exactly right. You put a little plastic covering over them, stick it in your ear, take the temperature, and apparently that's very accurate in mm. terms of your body temperature. So that sounds fine and makes sense, so why not create some earbuds? So there's a new brand, or not a new brand, but new earbuds from the brand called Honor, Honor Earbuds 3 Pro, that comes with building temperature monitoring. So if you're a bit worried about your temperature, you just tap on them three times, or tap on one three times. It does a temperature uh, measuring in your ear and then sends it through to your phone, of course. Gives you an alert, gives you uh, your normal body temperature. And some people have different normal body temperatures, so it'll get a baseline there and then give you an alert as to whether your body temperature is high or low. And obviously high, we're worried about that in terms of COVID. Mm. One thing I'm not sure about is whether or not if you're out exercising, for example, and your core body temperature does rise slightly, whether it then measures that and thinks that's an abnormal body temperature or whether it's Clever enough to work out that mm. your heart rate's doing 150 so that you're probably not just sitting there on the couch getting particularly hot. You might actually have some exercise going on as well. Well, I've never measured my body temperature with one of those digital thermometers after I've exercised, but it'd be interesting to see what actually does happen. Our heads do lose a lot of heat, um, yeah. and so we've got we've got to have temperature control there. Yep. Um, and your enzymes in your brain have still got to be able to work um, at the, the normal temperature of about 36.9. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if exercise had anything to do with it. But I can imagine, you know... 
as a hiker, you know, hypothermia could be an issue yeah. uh, in the um, in the wrong sort of condition there. Um, and so, you know, you might find yourself wearing these earbuds, just uh, regularly checking your temperature as you're, you know, trekking through the bush. Yeah, that's right. So there's a whole range of uses for that. That's right. It might be so heavy, your temperature body body temperature goes up too high. But I think that's the thing. We, we have talked about it before. If you want my prediction for where the biggest market growth is, I keep talking about measurables on our body, some mm. sort of health measurables with watches or earbuds or whatever. I think that's where the real growth is. And this sort of thing, we talk about it now saying, here's one brand that's just come up with this concept. But usually what we find is copycat is the name of the game in technology. Mm. So as yeah, soon as yeah. someone's got it, there'll be every, what, you haven't got body many temperature monitoring <laughs> Earbuds, surely everyone's got those now. And I wonder how much um, extra that technology will cost as well, because I can't imagine that uh, yeah, putting a little uh, thermo sensor, or it would be it wouldn't be a thermo sensor; it'd be um, some sort of laser sensor that uh, detects the colour of uh, the the um, blood, perhaps. It uses infrared. Um, yeah, sorry, infrared. Yeah, sorry, yeah. my apologies. Yeah, yeah okay. Probably want a laser going in your ear. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So using infrared. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm not sure how much deer. I haven't got a price on these. But I imagine they'd be a little bit dearer. They'd be a premium for first to market. But as we found with so many things, first to market, a bit dearer. Second mm. to market, normal price. Mm. So, yeah, look, it's it's quite fascinating. And we've all become health experts, haven't we, James? We, mm. we know about our body temperature. We know how that varies. We know when we get it measured what it should be and what might be abnormal for us. There's a whole range of things that suddenly we know about our bodies that we didn't know before COVID came along. Yeah, and a stitch in time saves nine, really. So early detection of um, anything happening, uh, happening to your body that you yeah. can respond to. Well, we have quicker. talked before about people who've noticed some abnormality with something in their heart rate or their body temperature or some variation there. And then they've gone and done a test, a COVID test, and found out they didn't even know they had COVID, but they had it, but it was picked up somewhere else first. And while we're busy digitally tracking our health status, how are your arteries, Matt? <laughs> I haven't <laughs> looked at them lately. <laughs> no, arterial health is a big one these days. Uh, cardiovascular disease was actually responsible for a quarter of all deaths in Australia, prior to COVID back in 2019, I find, found out earlier on. Um, if only we had a device that could give me some sort of early warning about atherosclerosis. There's a mouthful for me. <laughs> Matt, um, is there a device out there that can help us? You need the arty heart health. That would be the thing for you, I would suggest, James. Right. So arterial health, what most watch manufacturers have gone down the path is doing EKGs or ECGs. Mm. So the idea here is that that's one way to measure heart health. But as you say, arterial heart health mm. is a little bit different, but that's where we're now going. So there's a new watch out, um, Modvoi, M-O-B, sorry, Modvoi, M-O-B-V-O-I. They've got a new watch that basically does what a normal watch would do, but also measures arty heart health is what they're calling it. So it basically is a, a non-invasive measure. As you can imagine, they haven't got needles that stick in from your watch into your arm. It's not and a great selling things. point when you do that. No, not really. And they measure the central arterial waveforms. So it's basically the strength of your pulse. It gives you an idea of your heart health. So it's a different way of looking at your heart health. And again, we talk about all these things, measuring things in our body. We're going to have so much information soon that we're not going to even know if we're healthy or not because it's too confusing for us. <laughs> but I think the idea here is it's all about getting those early indicators, looking at some of the things that's happening with our body. And again, as we keep saying every time, go and see 
a health expert and Dr. Google is not a health expert, mm. not identified in the wider medical community as a health expert. So when you see something, if you're wearing this watch, for example, and it told you that your heart health may not be ideal, then that's when I'd go and say, yeah, see a doctor. doctor. Yeah, that's right. And there are people who obviously have, they're functioning every day. They seem to be going about their day-to-day lives with no problems and suddenly they might just have a bit of a blockage in their heart or they might have some sort of problem with their heart. And this is the sort of thing that this should be able to pick up rather than waiting to one day that bit of cholesterol comes loose and next thing you know they're talking mm-hmm. about us at a funeral. Then obviously this is the idea here is to check those things out first and then take action if there's found to be something more serious about it. So all these things I think are fantastic. Let's look for those indicators. Let's early detection. We keep hearing it. Prevention better than cure. This is another way to do it. But arterial heart health, that's the one. Now, boating has come a long way since Australia 2 stole the America's Cup with its revolutionary, revolutionary wing keel back in September of 83. But these days, it seems that if you're dragging a hole through the water, then you can't be regarded as anything more serious than a Sunday pleasure cruiser. If you want to mix it with the big dogs, folks, then you've got to get serious and get that hull out of the water to catch some proper air. You need hydrofoil underneath you, don't you? Uh, and and you can all do that now, courtesy of EV boating technology, of course, Matt. Well, it actually probably started, well, actually go back a long way. Before 1991, there used to be the hydrofoil that went across mm, Sydney yeah, Harbour. Yeah. And I've seen pictures or little videos where you see the ferry bouncing along across the waves, slapping up against the hull. And then here comes this hydrofoil. And I think it was about four times faster to get across Sydney Harbour with the hydrofoil as opposed to the Sydney normal fleet that they had, or the, the boats, if you like. So that seems like a sensible thing. But for whatever reason, 1991, they said, that's it, hydrofoil is no more. And mm. I probably only ever got to go on the hydrofoil once or twice as a kid, I remember it. But I'm just thinking, why Why wouldn't they keep doing that? Maybe mm. it was more expensive to run, who knows. But It just looked cool, I remember it did. as well. It <laughs> did, and it had the, the V-shaped hydrofoil at the front, which, yeah. again, I'm not sure if that was the ideal design. But the next time I really saw any foiling was with the America's Cup, but not the Ben Lexan-designed America's Cup that you mentioned there. We're talking about the new America's Cup, mm. which is all foiling. And I watched a bit one day, and I found it fascinating. Here are these boats. big boats. They're big, and they just go along, and then they hit a certain speed, and they pop up, and they're on one foil. They're not, yeah. they're not sitting there on two foils, so it's just this one foil. And obviously the whole concept here is to reduce that surface area, that mm-hmm. resistance to water. Drag, yeah. And we know about surface area and coefficients of friction with cars. And obviously the problem there is as we go faster, you double your speed, you quadruple your air resistance because it's a, to the square, that formula. Mm-hmm. And when you break that down, for example, if you were going at 100 kilometres an hour, then you said, I'll just go up to 110, you would actually increase your air resistance by 21%. So when people think about that, they go, well, whatever, I just go a bit faster. You went to 120, not that you would because that would be illegal, but if you did go to 120, it goes up to 44% higher than 100 kilometres an hour. Now, we haven't thought about that too much because you just drive your car, you never get the same fuel economy as claimed in the stats that you, when you read the car that you're about to buy, because those tests, those ADR, it's actually... ADR 81 slash 02 is the exact Australian design rule, and that talks about how you get the fuel consumption figures. So from that, which are mostly done at lower speeds, people never get those fuel economy figures. But it didn't matter that much until we got to electric vehicles, and then people quote not fuel economy but range. So Mm. air resistance, so people learn a bit more about air resistance. But in this scenario with boats, 
the hull resistance is the real trigger. That's the real problem with a boat when you get that hull resistance. So, Candela, I assume that's how you pronounce it, C-N-D-E-L-A, Candela, Candela, uh, is a Swedish company, and they said, we want to build electric boats. Now, we've talked briefly before about electric boats on this podcast, yeah. but the problem is the range of those electric boats, because you've got all that surface area dragging through the water, yeah. they don't get very good range, and then you put huge batteries in them, which makes it hugely expensive, and obviously heavier. Heavier. Yes, so there's a few problems the there. So this company, a Swedish company, said, what are we thinking here? Why don't we just foil these boats? So they've built a luxury speedboat. Eight and a half metres is their model, their first model they've got there. So it's a luxury speedboat that rides on hydrofoils. It just looks like a normal speedboat sitting in the water. And then you get up to a certain speed. And I don't know exactly what speed it starts foiling at, but you get up to a certain speed and it pops up out of the water. <laughs> and then they've only got a 44 kilowatt hour battery but you get almost 100 kilometres range out of that 44 kilowatt hour battery. It'll do about 60 kilometres an hour maximum speed. So again, we've just taken this simple concept of a boat. We want to electrify it. Oh, that's not good enough. What else can we do? Along comes foiling, and then they've got this great solution. And it sounds like a whole lot of fun. Oh, it does. And I've seen some of these things. You can even buy little surfboards now that have got a foil on the back of them. So I've seen some of those things, and you go, that looks like a lot of fun. And it just looks like it's going to be an incredibly smooth ride because you're not riding along on top of the waves, the slapping down on every wave as you go bouncing through the waves. You're still going in the water. And if the water was going up and down, you'd still go up and down. But you've only got that little tiny bit of surface area yeah. in the actual water. So suddenly you've got this whole other concept. I just I love the idea of it. I can hardly wait to get into one of these boats on one of those surfboards, something I've never been on a fall apart from that hydrofoil back before 1991, but I imagine it's a hell of a lot better now yeah. than those old hydrofoils. Yeah, a heap of fun to be had right there, folks. Um, and I guess just wait for your turn. <laughs> That's right, wait for your turn. And it's still a bit expensive at this stage, but... It's a first model, first revision. It's actually, this. Is, that's not quite right. They did have a previous one, which was just a prototype run. This is their first production run. Production so run. you can order them now. People are buying them right now. I just need to find someone that's got one. Go so on. <laughs> if you've got one, let me know, please. I want yeah. to go for riding one. <laughs> Touch base. Now, my jaw hit the floor about 25 years ago when I realized that you could get a hard drive that could hold more than 8 gig of data. It was like having five or six full movies all on one device, folks. Remember, of course, we were collecting DVDs back then. You know, one DVD equals one movie. Well, forgive me if I slur because I'm losing my jaw again. There's this terrible, messy dribble everywhere. (laughs) Western Digital has a hard drive that can hold every movie. Wait for it. Every movie that you'll ever be able to see in your lifetime, Matt. So the number of movies you see, apparently, James, in your lifetime, this was a an, uh, survey that was done a few years ago, the average American will watch an estimated 5,040 movies in their lifetime. That's a lot of movies. That's a lot of movies. And when someone says, have you seen blah, blah, blah? Yeah, I think so. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Can you remember the bit where, oh, I suppose? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, probably there's not enough room in our brains to hold 5,040 movies. But this is a new hard drive from Western Digital. You're quite right. Twenty terabytes of hard drive space and that's actually being a little bit cruel to that hard drive it would actually hold more than 5,040 movies but it's just to give you some Mm. idea of the the space the context if you like of how much space that is you haven't had a hard drive that size before unless it was a very high-end server drive this thing's only about $500 and for 20 terabytes the way they do it it's actually quite amazing when you look at a hard drive it's a standard size so it's a three and a half inch hard drive and that refers to the 
physical body size because there are devices it has to fit into. So a computer, mm. a network attached storage device, it's a standard external format that all hard drive manufacturers stick to for a three and a half inch drive. So manufacturers want to put more space on a hard drive. They don't just make the thing bigger, which sounds too easy. This thing, which they've got platters that are spinning or discs that are spinning inside there, spins at 7,200 revs a minute, which is pretty standard for a, a reasonable hard drive. But they've built nine platters into this. So that one of the oh. ways that hard drive manufacturers put more space in is they build more platters. So mm. they put nine platters in. So you can imagine you're looking at this drive, which isn't very tall, nine platters in there. But, well, that's not much good with a platter in there. You've got to have an arm to actually read the data, to read the mm. magnetic ones and zeros off that hard drive. So I've watched hard drives with the lid off them in operation. And the hard drive, the, ar- uh, the, aperture, no, the armature that goes back and forth, almost is a blur as it goes to read different parts off the hard drive, which is why sometimes you want your hard drive not fragmented because it can read it faster. But you can imagine this armature going back and forth across nine platters to get the data that needs. So that's all built into this thing. Remember, it can't be larger. It's not allowed to be any larger because that would (laughs) wreck the whole concept of all these different computers across the world. So to fit 20 terabytes into that, to have the armature going at that speed to have the nine platters spinning at 7,200 revs per minute, it all sounds quite incredible. And to do all that for 500 bucks, that's absolutely fantastic. Mm. So if you want some serious hard drive storage space, then this is it. One of the things that's interesting is that there are some computers, their BIOS system, for example, or the, the actual programming as such of what it can read, probably wouldn't even be able to read this size hard drive, depending on how modern it is. Sometimes there'll be limits that are coded into, let's say, the BIOS, for example, you put a bigger hard drive in, it only sees it as a smaller hard drive because it doesn't even know that these hard drives exist. I checked that before we went and bought one of these, but I imagine that most modern computers, most modern NASs could handle this size hard drive. So that's some serious space there. Absolutely. And um, the challenge has been laid down for you to be able to watch more than 5,040 <laughs> movies too. Start counting them. Go back and start <laughs> counting them. What was the first thing you saw as a kid? Then go from there. Yeah. Now, you'd be forgiven for thinking that there's nothing good to come out of the the recent Russian invasion of Ukraine. And the shockwaves keep coming as we realise some surprising changes emerging out of the crisis that you wouldn't normally consider. Obviously, all business with Russia has ground to a halt, which includes business partnerships that cross the border. But scientific research projects too, where... Scientists have been working together with Russia and the Western world, and they, they've come to a grinding halt. And with the current form of transport in Ukraine being by car and roads that being severely affected by the conflict, Google Maps have turned off their live traffic data. Matt, this has all sorts of implications, doesn't it? It's fascinating. And most people probably aren't aware of this, James, but if you've got a, an Android phone, for example... When you're travelling around, when you're moving from A to B, while we're sitting here talking at the moment, the information about that location is being sent back to Google in an anonymous fashion, theoretically. Mm. Who would we be to doubt a large technology company? But supposing that information is going back, it's all called metadata, and that data that's going back is giving information to Google to make the experience that we have interacting, for example, with Google Maps better. Mm. So, for example, I'm driving through Sydney and I want to decide whether I want to get across the harbour. Do I go across on Sydney Harbour Bridge or do I go via the tunnel or go via a hydrofoil if they had them? But, <laughs> but if I want to go across the, the harbour bridge or the tunnel, I can look at Google data, look at live traffic data, and I can see, oh, it's really congested on the bridge because I've got a 
line that's a different colour there. It shows me the levels of congestion. Mm. And then I'll decide to go via the tunnel because I know it's less congested. So that's all interesting and fascinating. Again, most people aren't aware of that. And that's actually the other part of that is when we put into Google Maps, we're going to go from A to B and it says your time will be 38 minutes to travel from A to B. Mm. It seems to be very accurate. It's mm. not like the old days with SatNav where it just took an averaging, all oh, right, that's a highway, that will average at 92 kilometres an hour, therefore I do the calculations, yeah, do the maths, and that's it. It's considering congestion. It's considering different times of day, different congestion. Essentially, it's saying that other people that have travelled that route, the other hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that have travelled that route have taken about 38 minutes we'll get rid of the outliers that are very high and low and we'll take probably the median and 38 minutes. So you go, well, that's probably going to be a fairly accurate time frame for me to get from A to B. And I find that it is actually quite accurate unless you go ridiculously slow or ridiculously fast. I wouldn't do the ridiculously fast one, of course. Ridiculously slow, you find that they're pretty accurate times when you get from A to B. But in the Ukraine, Google thought this might be somewhat a disadvantage for the people of Ukraine by having live traffic data because if the Russians were going to attack a group of civilians and mm. there were civilians escaping from the country, for example, they might be able to easily target where those people were by looking at Google Maps. Good mm. old-fashioned, you know, here they are, you've got the Russian military might behind you and someone says, give me a minute, I'll just get onto Google Maps and we'll go and have a look where all the people are. And so then they could effectively target those civilians if they were doing that. I'm not suggesting Russia would do that, but if they did that, they could target them. So Google said, we're going to turn off live traffic data for the protection of the citizens of the Ukraine. So that's interesting, and I think sounds like a good move. Let's protect people that are being invaded by Russia. But it then starts to bring into the larger question of the power of these technology companies. We know the eyeballs, the billions of eyeballs that see things like YouTube, Facebook, Google Maps, all those sort of social media and those large technology firms, the functionality that they've got, people are relying on, but all of these, the followers and users of these are typically bigger than a country. Mm. So the influence they could have is quite incredible. So they could start to spread positive or negative information or misinformation, whatever they want to do, but the power in the hands of those particular companies is quite incredible. Yeah, amazing, absolutely. And there's things we you don't think of, uh, they don't come to mind uh, automatically, yeah. Yeah. So I assume that if you were the military, you would probably have some encrypted phone signals that may not be reporting metadata back, so that's great for the Russian military. But again, the civilians, they've just got your standard old Android phone that they bought mm. off the shelf, so they're reporting that information back. But yeah, you you want to hope that those technology companies are on your side because the influence they could have in any future conflict is immense. Well, you really don't know what you've got till it's gone. And last week, our Tassie residents knew what that was all about when the internet went down, and they were isolated in pretty much all modern senses of the world. Oh, sorry, the word, I should say. Matt, we've, we've all been frustrated with poor coverage at one time or another, but this is next level. This is no coverage, James. This mm. is no coverage. Well, no, that's not right. This is no coverage to the outside island of Tasmania. So mm. Tasmanians could communicate with Tasmanians via the internet, but the main connections across to the mainland were cut. Oh, now, it wasn't the Russians invading. It wasn't some conspiracy about something terrible that was being planned by some cyber attack somewhere. It was pretty simple. They cut through some cables. Whoops, sorry about that. Oh, that was all of Tasmania, was it? Yeah, that was. <laughs> so, a bit oh, of a problem there. Wow. But it yeah. made it very difficult. So, when you think about what that, ha that means, so, oh, that means I can't go and look at the news and see what's happening in the news. Big deal, I'll, I'll catch up the news 10 minutes later, whatever. 
But when you start to think what really happens there is so many things rely on our internet connectivity and our connectivity outside our little area. So, for example, FPOS in shops was connected to the internet. Yeah. It typically is. Most of those FPOS machines, they don't dial up with a phone line anymore. They're connected to the internet. So suddenly they didn't work. So retailers went, oh, we can't take any card transaction. And we've been so good at moving people over to card transactions away from cash wow. due to COVID. So... Oh, I guess we just closed the door. So suddenly, those sort of transactions stopped. Banks said, well, we can't communicate with the outside world, so we don't know what the real balance in your account is, so we better close the banks down. We better close ATMs down because we can't right. check those balances. So something where you might think, yeah, you can't watch Netflix, who cares? Suddenly, the whole economy came to a grinding halt, even to the point where mobile phone signals were lost. So that connectivity outside, you couldn't ring people. Again, maybe within Tasmania you could have rung people, but you couldn't ring people outside. So Tasmania really became an island, an island for communication as well as an island in the physical sense of the word. So it was really quite critical for them. And even hours later, they were only back up to about 30%. So obviously they got one connection back up and running, but didn't get all the connections back up and running and probably limited connectivity. But yeah, as you said at the beginning, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. <laughs> and when it's gone, you are in a world of pain. And you know how reliant you are on modern technology when something like that happens. Yeah, yeah. and it comes back to that point we've mentioned before. Modern conflicts, yes, they are being fought in U the Ukraine at the moment with physical weapons, but modern conflicts, I think, will see more and more fought in a cyber world. Because mm. if you want to bring a state, a country, a, an area to its knees, you just cut off the internet. And then, let's face it, what are you going to do? You're going to give in to any demands, aren't you? Imagine your resident saying, I, I can't connect to the internet. I can't look at videos of little cats and dogs. What am I going to do with myself all day? doesn't matter how much toilet paper is in the supermarkets if you can't purchase <laughs> you can't it. be on the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, it's interesting. They're back up money now. Everything's fine. They're full steam ahead. But it also probably shows the sort of vulnerability that we've got in places like Tasmania. You obviously want multiple connections to yeah. anywhere. That's Plan a, a way, yeah, the redundancy that you have. Obviously, their redundancy wasn't quite right, or maybe they cut through both cables if there was more than one there. So maybe the redundancy needs to be looked at there from a connectivity point of view. Mm. And so it's just a, a good lesson going forward. And luckily this time it was only out for hours, not days, weeks or months. And it wasn't involving Russia. It wasn't a conflict. It was just some simple silliness where someone didn't die before they dig. Mm. <laughs> okay, folks, it's time for us to hit the checkout to end another episode of Tech Talk. Matthew, our hearts reach out not only to the good people of the Ukraine and Eastern Europe, whose world has been turned upside down, but also to the people of the east coast of Australia, so many who have lost everything to the murky floodwaters of yet another broad-scale natural catastrophe. Mm. Folks, we urge listeners to reach out and donate your hard-earned for our fellow Aussies who will continue to do it tough for the weeks and months to come. Thank you for tuning in to Tech Talk this week. I'm your host, James Eddy. We hope you can join us again next week.